Well, we need the good news of Christ's resurrection and his resurrection life because, conversely, there is this dark reality of death that we also know very well, don't we? Um, we, we, we experience it in, in unique ways, but we have some commonalities. I think probably most of us, if you've lived for any length of time, you've, you've had a phone call. Um, you, maybe it's, it seems like many of these, they come in the middle of the night. And your phone today, it starts like vibrating on the nightstand and the screen lights up. And, and you, before you even realize you've answered it and you've said hello, you can hear on the other end of that line a trembling voice that's trying to get the words out through tears. He's dead. And, and as your mind is just racing to catch up with those words and to, to make some sense of them, uh, you, 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 you can't. But this is this death death. We, we can't get away from it. Um, it comes to, to young kids. It comes to old. It, it, it is rich and poor. It comes to upstanding citizens and the most hardened criminals. It comes to the educated and the ignorant, celebrities and average Joes, healthy athletes and couch potatoes, men and women, boys and girls. Nobody's exempt. Everyone shares this reality, we will all die. No one can resist that moment when death finally lays its icy hand upon us. We can't. Death can strike at any moment, day or night. It can come anywhere, in a hospital bed, uh, on a busy road, in a front, front porch rocker, um, on a sports field, in church. I mean, it can come anywhere. There's not a single time, there's not a place on the planet that, that is off limits to death. And, and death hurts. It's, it's, it's a reality we all face, but it's a pain that we all experience. It leaves a vacuum of loss. It, it's, it's, it represents hopes that have just been dashed. It represents love that's been lost. It, but listen, for those of us who are in Christ, there is a balm. A sweet balm. And it is this truth of the resurrection. The resurrection is what we cling to when death strips loved ones from our arms. It's this hope of this, this soon coming spring on the other side of this dark winter of death. That, that is what the re resurrection represents to us. Our, our brother Deontay, I see Celeste sitting over here, but he, he, as I mentioned in prayer, his, his uh, uncle John, who visited here many times, he, he died on Monday. And uh, I know he was a big part of, of, of Deontay's life and, and in that family. And, and so this is a painful loss. So, but there is joy and there is hope and there is comfort in the midst of this. I was communicating with Deontay on Tuesday. And, and he said, yes, it hurts. Yes, so, we're sad and we, we lost this dear man, but his response was after all the conversations we've had and his love for Christ, it makes it easier knowing he is with the Savior. And don't we, we who are in Christ and we've lost believing family members and friends, we, that resonates with us. For the believer in Christ, to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. And those who've died in Christ one day will be raised bodily to live with Christ for all eternity. That's what this chapter is, is all about. So the truth of resurrection is so precious to us because death is so real to us. It, it, because, because, it's because the, as one, one, one writer has said, the whole world is a hospital 
and every person in it is a terminal patient. That's why, that's why the resurrection is so precious. Happy Easter, all this talk of death, I know. Uh, but we'll get to the life. And so we've, we've been studying. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're, we're genuinely grateful you're here. You may have come with the invited or may have just shown up, found us online. Regardless, whether you're tuning in online, we, we are thankful that you're, you're with us today. We've been studying. We're not just in 1 Corinthians 15 because we're just finding a, finding a place that mentions the resurrection. We've been studying through this whole letter of 1 Corinthians 15 for uh, almost a year now. And so we're in the 15th of 16 chapters here. And it's in this chapter that Paul begins to deal with this last big issue, big problem in the church there, uh, in the ancient church of Corinth. And it was that they were, they were waffling on this thought of resurrection, of, of this future resurrection of, of, of people. And so it wasn't that they rejected Jesus' resurrection of the dead and doubted that, because that's core to the gospel, as we've already seen. It wasn't that, or they wouldn't be Christians. But they, they, they were. They were they were beginning to question whether there was actually a hope of, of our resurrection, our our actually having been joined again to our bodies after death one day and, and, and living and reigning with Christ. And so they were they were impacted by a by a, a philosophy of that day that was very prevalent in that Greek culture called dualism. And essentially, dualism said kind of everything material, physical, that's bad. Everything spiritual, immaterial, that's good. And so the body, bad. Soul, that's good. And so the, the thought was at death, the, the, the body is finally, or the soul is finally set free from the body, from that prison house of the body, and it can fly and soar now. And so the thought... Of, of resurrection of our bodies was repulsive to them. They didn't want that. And so, so that was kind of the philosophy of the day. And so these Christians in, in Corinth, they're sort of trying to, trying to marry, trying to mesh that, that Greek philosophy with this now, these young Christians and this new faith that they have in Christ, who, which is rooted in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead bodily and now lives. And so they're trying to put those two together. And Paul is saying, they don't go together. This is oil and water. You can't combine them. And so, but this is what they're doing. And so his whole chapter is, is him kind of making this case. No, this, this is foundational, this hope of the resurrection. And the hope of our resurrection is, 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 is rooted in the fact that Christ is risen from the dead. And so this is where he begins. We saw this last Sunday in the earlier first verses of this, of this chapter where, where Paul's saying that Christ's bodily resurrection, it's the cornerstone of the gospel. And, and this is foundational. And, and Jesus' literal bodily resurrection is undeniably true. There were many witnesses who saw it. So he's making that case. Now he continues his argument showing the absolute necessity of this. It's not a throwaway. It's not optional. No, this is... This, and he does this. You probably picked this up as, we read, as Eric read the passage. He's kind of playing the devil, devil's advocate here. We know, we know this line of reasoning. He's asking these hypothetical questions. For the, for the sake of argument, what if there is no resurrection? What if Christ isn't raised? What if, what if there is no resurrection from the dead? No resurrection of believers, no resurrection of Jesus. What if it's not true? What if the women who went to that tomb that first Sunday morning, they actually found out that nothing had happened? The guards were still just pacing back and forth, guarding the tomb, the, the stone's still there. What if Jesus' body just rotted and decayed in a Palestinian tomb? That's, that's, the, that's the question he's kind of he's working through here to show the importance of this. And so he, he uses this repeated conditional phrase, conditional clause, if Christ has not been raised. Now in English, we, we don't always know how to 
how to translate that. We kind of get it from the sense. But in Greek, there's, there's very specific grammatical constructions in those conditional clauses, those if-then statements. And, and the way that this, the grammar is here, it's, it, if, it, it's, it's treating this as if it's fact. So it doesn't mean that it's true, but for the sake of argument, he assumes that this is true. So he's arguing from this, from this vantage point. So parents, we do this. Uh, you, you might ask your children, if you could go anywhere you wanted this summer for vacation, where would you go? Now, can your kids go anywhere they want to go for a vacation this summer and do anything they want to do? Of course not. You're just sort of presenting that as a possibility, as a fact, and, and, you, and it kind of sparks conversation. But it's just for the sake of argument. So that's what he's doing here. So what we'll see, there are these seven devastating consequences if there's no such thing as resurrection. That's what he's, that's what he's laying out here. And so we'll look at these, we'll look at these uh, one by one. There's seven of them. The first one is this, is we have a dead Savior. If there is no resurrection, we have a dead Savior. Look at verse 12 with me. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So if you're saying that Christ is risen, and they did, they believed Christ died, was buried, rose again, that's what made them Christians. But now they're saying, but the, the dead, we won't be raised one day, not our bodies. So how can you say that? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You can't separate the two. That's what he's saying. So if there's no such thing as a physical, bodily resurrection, then that includes Jesus' resurrection. And if Jesus is not literally raised back to life, then he cannot raise you back to life either because he's dead. That's, the, that's kind of the argument. A dead Savior is no Savior at all. I mean, this is the same logic. We, were, we saw this uh, uh, on Good Friday. Friday night, we gathered and looked in Mark's Gospel accounts and looked at the, the scene around uh, of the cross and Jesus' death, and we, we saw this logic that was used by some of the mockers that were there at the cross, these Jewish mockers, and they said, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. So this is wicked mockery. We understand that. But there, there's, there's some truth to their taunts. They, 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 they didn't understand um, what Christ came to do. They didn't understand how He intended to do it. But they certainly understood one thing. A dead Savior is no Savior. And that's, that, was, that was their mockery. So if there's no resurrection, then Jesus is a dead Savior. And if that's true, then everything else he's going to say in this chapter here, it follows. And so this, this hypothetical, if there's no resurrection, we have a dead Savior. Secondly, we have a dead message. A dead message. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Preaching, our message that we preach, is in, it's in vain. The content of everything we say, we're saying is the word vain. It's just empty. There's nothing to it. There's no substance to it. It's, there's, there's nothing there. So listen, if, if Christ isn't raised, I have nothing to say to you this morning. I have nothing to preach if Jesus' body decayed in a tomb 2,000 years ago. I'm wasting my breath. I'm wasting your time. It's a beautiful day out there. We should be having a cookout and going for a hike, playing golf, doing something else if the tomb is still occupied. There's no reason to be here. The, the, the message is vain. 
Now, there are Christians, there are people, I should say, who kind of view the Christian faith and Christian religion, um, and, and they, they like it, they're, they're sort of drawn to it, but they view the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, as a myth. They don't think that couldn't have happened, it can't be true. And so they say things like, there's still a lot left to Christianity if you take away the resurrection. There's all this wonderful teachings of Jesus. There, the Sermon on the Mount, it's wonderful. It's great moral instruction. There's the death of Jesus. His example is a sacrifice for us. And even in, in Easter, we can still learn from the Easter story that good, good wins over evil and, 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 and we can hope for a better day. These kinds of things, these, these little life pointers and moral lessons, these, these abound. Even if you take the resurrection away, you don't have to have Jesus rising from the dead to benefit from Christianity. Paul would say to that, no way. There's no way. It, it, our, the message of Christianity, it's not beneficial if Jesus isn't raised. It's vain. It's empty. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead on the third day, then the gospel that is supposedly the power of God to salvation for all who believe it is not good news because it doesn't really have the power to save. The message is worthless. It's empty, powerless, it's vain. If there's no resurrection of Christ, we have there's nothing to say. There's no good news to offer. Someone said, either the tomb is empty or the gospel message is empty. You can't have it both ways. Third, if there's no resurrection, we have third, we have a dead faith. A dead faith. Faith. So if our, says our, our preaching, if Christ isn't raised, then our preaching is in vain. And he says, and your faith is in vain. I mean, if the content of the message that we have believed is empty, is vain, then so is the faith uh, that we put in that empty message. We can understand the reason here is, is, is logic. We're staking our lives on a mirage if the resurrection's not true. He looked down at verse 17, and he says it in a little bit different way. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's a different adjective. So he says it's vain. Now he says it's futile. Uh, futile means useless. It's, it's useless. It's, a, it's no benefit. So vain would be like, it, it, vain is empty. It would be like tearing open uh, a birthday present, and when you get through all the paper and you rip it open, and you're so excited, and you find it's just an empty box. That's, that's, that's vain. That's empty. That's a, a cruel April Fool's joke. Um, but, it, but, but futile would be like unwrapping that birthday present and tearing the paper off and opening it up. And what you find inside is like a couple uh, burned out light bulbs and some dead batteries and a pen that has no ink left in it and a, a gift card that has zero balance on it. It's already been spent. It, it, it's not empty, but it's useless. It can't do anything. None of those things can be can be used for anything. And so that's what he's saying. Without the without the real bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a faith it's it's empty and it's useless. It's vain and it's futile. There's nothing. There's no forgiveness of sins if Christ isn't risen. There's no peace with God. There's no right standing with the Father. There's no future hope of heaven, of life beyond the grave. None of that. It's vain. It's futile. Faith, this is why, because faith is only as good as the object that you put it in. 
understand that? Some say, I, I know you hear this kind of talk today. It doesn't matter what you believe. It just matters that you believe something and you believe a lot. It's this quantity of your faith, not the object of your faith that matters. And so we, we, we got to understand that's absurd thinking. It's absurd. I, I mean, you, you can believe that your bike can fly. Your bicycle can fly. But you take your flying bike to the top of Spaghetti Junction up in the northeast quadrant of Atlanta and ride it off of there, and, and we'll see how good your faith in that bike is. It doesn't matter how much you believe that. You're, it's the object of your faith that matters. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. Just because you believe, you're believing in something doesn't make it true or doesn't make it true for you because faith is only as good as the object. So if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, Paul says, your faith, it's not helpful. It's not beneficial to you. It's actually empty. And it's useless. I'd say it's even dangerous uh, based on what he says next. So faith, faith saves only because it lays hold of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. All right, fourth. This is, see, see this argument, this powerful argument he's making of the necessity of the resurrection. He says, if Christ isn't raised, fourth, then we have in the Bible a dead book. A dead book. A dead Savior. Uh, a, dead, a dead message. A dead faith. And a dead book. Look at verse 15. It says, we, the apostles, the witnesses of the resurrection. This is going back to verses 5 through 11 in this chapter, the, the, the proclaimers of the resurrection, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So he's saying, if there's no resurrection, the apostles and other witnesses, by implication, us too, we who proclaim this message, not honest folks who just kind of uh, with good intentions uh, said what we thought was true, but it turns out it wasn't actually true after all, and, and we're really sorry about that. That's not it. No, if God didn't raise Jesus, then he's saying, then the apostles, they, they misrepresented God. It's a very technical language. It's, they, it's like they took the stand and testified against God. That's what he's saying. They accused him of doing something that he didn't do if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And this wasn't just some kind of innocent mistake like, oh, we, we misread the, we misread the, we went to the wrong tomb, we did something, you know, we just totally messed it up. Sorry about that. You know, they would have been co-conspirators together. Because this would, they had this consistent story. You look at all the gospel accounts, you look at all, all that the New Testament says about this. They, they would have, this would have been this massive cover-up. They would have had to come together and to harmonize their lives. This was no innocent mistake. And they took their lives to the grave. These men were beaten and, and, and imprisoned and tortured and killed because of what they preached. And if it was just to preach lies and to spread lies, that's, that's what he's saying. If Christ's body is still in, gra in the grave, then they and we are deceivers of the worst possible kind. We have misrepresented God. The disciples don't deserve to be honored as men of integrity and, and, and truth. They deserve to be regarded as just wicked charlatans. Total phonies. 
And not only would the apostles be liars for proclaiming Christ's resurrection, but to deny the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is, is an attack. It, it, it's to attack all the other writers of the Bible as well. Because you can go into the Old Testament. Last week uh, on Friday night and, and last Sunday we talked about this. That, that there where Paul begins. This He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now the scriptures that he's talking about are what we call the Old Testament scriptures. So throughout the Old Testament there are these places from the very first book that was written in the Old Testament which was Job. Already there is this reference in the speaking of this future hope of the resurrection after after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God and there's other places Psalm 16 10 Psalm 22 Isaiah 53 10 to 11 Daniel 12 2 and 3 and many other places he testified to this and so if the resurrection is untrue then the entire Bible is presenting lies fabricated falsehoods. Instead of being living and active, as Hebrews 4 tells us, the Bible would be dead and dormant. Instead of giving life, giving truth, the Bible would, would just be this book of soul-damning lies. Christ isn't raised. We have a dead book. Fifth, three more. If the tomb is still occupied, then all we have in Jesus is a dead sacrifice. A dead sacrifice. Verse 16, look there with me. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Christ isn't who he claimed to be. He didn't truly rise from the dead. Then Jesus' death for our sins means nothing. He's a dead sacrifice. That's it. Because our, our sin still stands secure. Sin won. It won over Christ. It won over us. We are still in our sins and we will face God's judgment and His wrath because of our sins. If Christ didn't rise. No. We saw this Friday night. It was, it was Jesus' death that, that paid for our sins. Isaiah 53 he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On the cross, Jesus, that, that last cry, it is finished. Uh, sin was paid for, atoned for. He, he dealt with the, the problem of our sin, the punishment of our sin on the cross. And so, so that's where sin was dealt with. But the resurrection, it cannot be separated from the cross event. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up, delivered up to die for our transgressions, and He was raised for our justification. Justification just means that God, God declares us to be right before Him. So the resurrection, it didn't accomplish atonement for sin. It didn't do that, but it testified to the atonement that had been made on the cross. So, so if there is no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what does that tell us? That testifies to the fact that there has not been sufficient atonement made for our sins. And we have a dead Savior, a dead sacrifice. Christ didn't rise. There's no evidence, there's no proof that the death, that his death on the cross actually accomplished what it was intended to accomplish, to pay for our sins. And if the tomb is still occupied, it shows that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Sixth, sixth consequence. If Christ didn't rise, then all who die 
only meets six a dead end. A dead end. Because death wins. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep, that's just a euphemism for death, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have perished. If Jesus' tomb is empty, the dead are doomed. Our children, our parents, our friends, those believers who've been taken from us by death, Christ isn't risen, then we will never see them again. They perish. I mean, one of the distinguishing marks of the early church, one of the distinguishing marks of Christians today is, is, is this changed view of death. For the lost, death is the end of everything. It's, it's the adversary that's going to eventually beat us all. But for the Christian, it's, it's still a foe, but it's sting. Paul says at the end of this letter, or this chapter, its sting is gone. Oh, death, where is your victory? Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is, is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy because of Christ. And so, but if Jesus, what Paul's saying here is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then every saint from Adam to, to today who's, who's died will suffer in hell forever. They perish. Because if Christ wasn't raised, how could we possibly be raised to new life? Last implication. Last consequence. If there is no resurrection, then what we have is just a dead existence. A dead existence. See in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all there is, our little time on this rock of earth, if this is it, we are of all people most to be pitied. We, are, we, we deserve pity. If the tomb is still occupied, if, if Christ didn't come out, then Christianity is absolutely pointless and pitiable and pathetic. That's what it is. To hope in Christ in this life only, he says, to live, to preach, to teach, to suffer, to to sacrifice, to labor, to die for a myth, for a legend, for fantasy, for nothing, for something that's vain and empty and useless. If Jesus is dead, Christianity's a joke. It, it, it deserves to be ridiculed in the ways that we see it ridiculed all the time because it's a hoax, it's a phony religion because Christianity would have no Christ if he's not risen from the dead. No Redeemer, no Savior, no Lord. If Christ isn't risen from the, from the grave, He is not alive, and we are not, and we are spiritually lifeless. We are living in la-la land. And, and out of touch with reality. We have wasted, we have wasted our time and our money and our energy and our blood. Thinking of all the martyrs throughout church history. For nothing. If Christ isn't risen, we should just give ourselves to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's my paraphrase of verse 32, where Paul says, we should just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, if there's no resurrection. Just squeeze all you can out of this 60, 80, 100 years, be generous, some, a lot less. Squeeze all you can, because that's all there is. Is it? Jesus' body rotted in some Palestinian tomb. The 
best advice I could give to you is to exercise every day and to eat very nutritious foods and organic, whatever all the stuff is now, whatever the latest rage is. Take your vitamins. Live as long as you possibly can because this is it. Get all the pleasure of life you can, uh, out of this life you can, because there's nothing else. That's, that's a hopeless, isn't it? So he's making this argument. He's, he's laying out these horrific consequences. If, if, if Christ isn't risen, if there is no resurrection, but then don't, don't, uh, don't get up and leave yet, because we need to hear verse 20. It's all moving towards this, this, this climax. In verse 20, he says, notice this word, this adversative, but contrary to everything I've said in this playing the devil's advocate, uh, stating this kind of this line of reason here, but that's not true. In fact, this is what's really true. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, meaning his, his resurrection is just preparing us for what's coming in the future. We will be raised like him. And we'll talk about that in the next few weeks, so come back and join us. And we'll see that. This is what he's saying. Our Savior is not dead. He lives. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Our Savior lives Therefore, so take all those statements that we looked at. Our Savior isn't dead, not a dead Savior. He lives. The gospel is not dead, but it's living and it's powerful. Our faith isn't dead. It's alive and it's full because the object of our faith is real and powerful. The Bible isn't dead. It's true and living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, Hebrews tells us. It, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't, it's not dead. It is sufficient to atone for sin. It really was finished when he died on the cross. And, it, and death is not the end. Life wins. Hope is alive. And our lives are not pathetic and miserable and empty and dead and foolish and pitiable. No, they're actually enviable because of the resurrection. This is what he's saying in verse 20. The empty tomb is true, and the empty tomb changes everything. What, what difference does it make? What difference does it make in our lives? Here's, let me just give you a few. This is just a small sampling, and I've got more listed here than I can possibly squeeze into the next uh, uh, five or ten minutes here uh, before we sing. But let me just give you a few. One, we have, we have purpose. There's, there's meaning to life because of the empty tomb. Our lives are not simply aimless. We're not just drifting around with no point. No, the resurrection gives focus to our lives. It, it keeps us from being so cluttered by the distractions of the world around us. This is how Paul thought in Philippians chapter 3. Just listen to these words. In verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I threw off everything, all, all things that stood in the way of attaining this purpose. And here's the purpose. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And this is what he says, that I may know him and the power 
of his resurrection and may share his sufferings being like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection for the Apostle Paul, it, it motivated him to live his life in such a way that it was aimed at eternity. It gave focus. Listen, when was the last time somebody accused you of being very eternally minded in how you live? And having that kind of long eternal perspective? Or, or do we tend to live just very myopically and, and the, the latest headline and the latest thing in our social media feed to get so riled up and so flustered and so excited or so scared? Listen, we have eternity. And the resurrection, it it's kind of centers us again and it sets our priorities and it gives us purpose. It gives meaning to our life. What consumes your thoughts? What keeps you up at night? What are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? If you, if you truly believe the tomb is empty, then your life will have the shape that, 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 that conforms to, to the, the, the gospel. You'll have purpose. Second, you'll, you'll have hope. You'll have hope the more you lay hold of this. This is how it changes us because Christ didn't stay in the grave. When we look at the future, when we, we look at mortality and we see, we see death all around us and we go through a pandemic like we've been, when, you, when we read the headlines, when we see our social media feed, when we, when we watch what the economy is doing, good or bad, when we hear of wars and we see terrorism, when we see violence and we see diseases and we see pain and we see death, we see all these things around us, we have hope from the resurrection that nothing else can give. We have hope. First Peter tells us this. Remember, Peter went from, he was, he was, he hid, ran, when Jesus was arrested, uh, cowered in fear. But he became courageous when we, we picked up the story in Acts. I mean, boldly preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and suffering for it. Now, it's not because it's not because he went and visited the Wizard of Oz and he you know, got courage or something like that. He, he encountered the risen Christ. And so he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. Not a sickly, small, dim hope. A living, full, abundant hope. How did how were we born again to a living hope? This is what he says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what just fans the flames of our hope. It's the fact that Christ is to an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven, is guarding to the last time. So what is this hope? What does this hope do for us in this world? How does it change us? He goes on in this letter in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Listen, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. He's saying, let me just ask you, are you living? Are you, are you talking? Are you thinking? Does your attitude reflect this? Are you, are you living in such a way that people are just scratching their heads by your hope? You're just a, such a hope-filled person. You're just in awe. The, the, they're asking, how do you live in this world with such hope? 
Have you been accused recently of being a very hope-filled person? Do people wonder how you face a, a painful trial with the deep, uh, residing, authentic, un, un, unshakable, penetrating hope? Do people wonder how you can remain hopeful and not cynical in light of, of all the current events that we're facing right now? When, when they do ask, listen, when they ask, we have an answer for them. We have an answer when they ask about the hope that's in us, and it's this. It's he is risen. He is risen. I'm going to skip uh, joy. This is certainly, when we get into the book of Acts, um, you find these apostles, these Christians, they're just, they're dominated by the reality of the resurrection. This is the message they're preaching. This is what they're talking about all the time. Christ crucified and risen again. And they're just so happy. They're so joyful. They're singing. They're, they're rejoicing together. They're gathering together and eating and drinking and worshiping together. And it's not because God has made their circumstances and, and the situations in their life so nice and pleasant and easy and light. Not at all. They're suffering. They're being beaten. They're being imprisoned. Their belongings are being seized. They're, they're being stoned. They're being mocked and ridiculed. They're being disowned by their families. And yet we find them rejoicing and singing. Joy. Why? Because the fact that Jesus is alive was so fresh to them. So real to them. And it was transforming them. Are you, are you a joyful person? Is it an abiding kind of joy? Or is your happiness very fickle and tied to your circumstances? So it's up and down, up and down, and how you feel. and It's only tied to your emotions in that moment and how you're responding to those situations right in front of you. Is that This is joy that abides. Deep joy. And it's rooted in this unchanging reality of the risen Christ. Give you, let me just give you one, and it's confidence. Confidence. I'll go back to where we began. That's talking about death. Sorry, <laughs> just for a moment. Death is real. One out of one persons will die. Uh, staggering. But but Christians, we should exude this strange and curious confidence, even that stares that stares death in the face. And trust in God. We should die differently. We know people who have. Don't we? It goes on in this chapter. Look at verse 51. We're still there. Behold. See this. Look. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. We are confident of this fact. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this moral body must put on, mortal body must put on immortality. That means, what is he saying? We're going to die. Now when the imperishable, or when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence, even in the face of death, for the believer. I've I've basically come to the end of what I want to say to you this morning, but I I want to give one last word to Jesus and let him speak to you today. I want to hear you, you to hear his own words. Very simply, um, it's this. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said this. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Not the church, not baptism, not your commitments, not your vows to God. Here's life. It's in Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, one and one will, yet shall he live. Get that. We we prepare for death. We can have confidence in the face of death by trusting in the crucified and risen Christ. Paul says to the Romans, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will die, but you can be saved. You can be saved to eternal life through faith. Verse 10, he goes on. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, I don't know everybody here, and I know some of you, but I don't know what's in your heart to ask you, are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of that that great enemy? Are you prepared to meet that great enemy? If, if, If you don't have to be, we can have this confidence. And it's not by reforming ourselves, not by cleaning up our act and presenting ourselves to God as as fit for heaven, it is it is by saying, I bring nothing to this relationship. I bring nothing to the table. All I bring is my sin. I am unworthy. And I realize that I need something that I don't have, and that's grace. And only God can give that, and the only reason He can give it is because Jesus has already taken the punishment for your sin. And He's and, and he, He's died and He's risen again, showing that the Father accepted His sacrifice for sin, and He now offers us, He says, just believe and trust in me. Rest all the weight of your confidence in me and what I have done for you. And then we can face death unafraid. So I invite you, if you've not trusted in him, to do that today. This could be the day where you where you can, and can have that confidence that you've lacked for so long and you've so feared this enemy that you know is coming. You don't have to. If you if you have questions, we'd love to speak with you. Talk with me afterwards and 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 if I'm not available, I can, we, we've got plenty of people that would be glad to share with you. Talk to the person sitting next to you who brought you, whatever. If this is new to you, uh, maybe you maybe you thought you knew what Jesus did for you, and you thought you understood what Christianity was all about, but, but you realize there's much more after we've talked through this today. And so, again, we, we, we would love to talk to you. Maybe you're skeptical. You're still like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know what he's, he's saying is true. I'm not sure, but talk to us. We we're not going to single you out. We're not going to embarrass you. But we'd love to share with you and, and, and just answer any questions that you have. Not saying that we know all the answers, but we we have this book, and we we would love to, to help you understand. So let me let me pray. And we'll sing.
Lord, I pray for those of us who are in Christ that you would help us to live in light of the empty tomb, that we would not live as those who remain in darkness, but we would live as those who are children of light because of, of what was accomplished for us in Jesus' death and resurrection. I pray for those here who may not have had their eyes open to see who Jesus truly is. And I pray that you would work by your spirit to, to do that today. And, uh, thank you for those that are here. Thank you for each one of us, the appointment you made with us to be here. And we pray for your continued work as we, uh, as we let these truths settle down into our hearts. Now, Father, give strength to our voices and fill our lungs with uh, air so that we can, can lift our voices loud and strong to praise you, the risen Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Great was the